Man, I'm excited to be here with you all today. My name is Raf. For those who don't know me, I'm associate pastor here at Relentless. And uh, again, just super, super excited to, uh, to share with you all this morning. I, um, it feels like I haven't been here in forever. I was here last week, but it just, this summer's flying by. I don't know if y'all feel this is summer. It feels like it's going so fast, but at the same time, um, it, it seems like it's been, it's been forever. And so uh, we had last seven weeks, we've had guest speakers uh, from all different parts of the country and, and different areas come here and bless us with their time and, and bring the word of God. And uh, we're super grateful for, for all of them and, and all that God has been doing in this place as Pastor David's been on sabbatical. But just to give you kind of a, a snap shot of what to expect. Um, this series starting today called Be Last. I'll be preaching uh, for the next four weeks. It'll take us through uh, the end of August. And then uh, my sister uh, Joy Bay, our woman's pastor, will be preaching the first Sunday in September. Uh, and then uh, Pastor David will be back. Y'all, y'all can clap for that. Uh, <laughs> pastor David will be back. That's our birthday Sunday. Um, and uh, I want to say it's our eighth, Joy, is that right? It's going to be our eighth birthday as a church. Um, and so that, that's when uh, Pastor David will be back, and we're looking forward to celebrating with you all. So that's just kind of what to expect as we look forward. But again, today we are kicking off a new series called Be Last, okay? And, and I'll tell you up front, this series comes from one verse in Scripture that uh, the Lord just brings me back to over and over again. It's one of my favorites. It's uh, from Matthew chapter 20, verse 16, uh, when Jesus says, So the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Uh, when I say this verse comes up over and over again, specifically uh, in my house, it comes up with my kids, okay? I got, I got five kids, and, and they are uh, always in competition with each other, always uh, fighting to be first, always trying to win, to one-up, fighting for attention, all that stuff. And, and so I find myself coming back to this verse and teaching it to them over and over again. And uh, one example is my, my, my two five-year-olds, Penelope and RJ, uh, they're like, I mean, they, they fight to get out who's going to get to the car first, who's going to get in and put on their buckle first, who gets to get out of the car first. Like, it's nonstop. And so when I pick them up from school, typically they come in and it's like, no, I want to tell daddy about my No, it's my turn. No, I want to tell. And they're fighting over. I can't hear either one. And they're fighting over who gets to tell me about their day first. And so I said, listen, sit there. Listen, remember, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. But what's that mean, daddy? And I said, well, listen, this is Jesus saying that, that in God's eyes, in the kingdom of God, okay, it's, it's the person who puts other people ahead of themselves, the purple who, the person who lifts, lifts other people up, who's concerned with other people's feelings and, and their thoughts and their emotions and where they're coming from. God says they're the ones who are the real winners. In the end, they're going to be first, and the people finding to be first will be last. And they're like, all right, yeah, okay, we got it. We got it. So we, we, we continue on our journey home. I pull into the driveway, and, uh, and I get out of the car, and I start walking to the front door, and I realize the kids aren't with me. <laughs> what, is, what are y'all doing back there? I go back. I put my head in the, in the van. I'm like, what, what are you guys doing? And they're, they're fighting. No, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go. No, I want to be last. No, I'm last. <laughs> I was like, it kind of went over their heads. They're like, you're missing it a little bit. You're missing it. But, but. Progress, slowly but surely, right? They'll, they'll get there. One of my favorite times was uh, my, my wife was reminding me of this actually last night. Uh, you know, our kids share a bathroom, and, and so she sent them to go brush their teeth one night. And my, uh, my little boy, RJ, was the first one there, and he's, he's sitting there, you know, brushing his teeth in front of the sink, and his big sister comes in and just kind of bumps him out of the way, just bullies him over, and she starts brushing her teeth. He's like, hey, I was here first. She's like, first shall be last. <laughs> like, just abusing scripture in our house. Just, I don't know what is going on. I don't know what we're doing. But <laughs> again, it's, it's just something I have to keep coming back to over and over again with my kids. And each time I do, God patiently reminds me, you know, uh, they're not the only ones who are missing it. 
They're, they're not the only ones who forget sometimes what I really, what I really meant. They, they're not the only ones who miss the mark when it comes to stepping into who I'm calling you to be and, and how I'm calling you to live. When I say uh, the first shall be last and the, the, excuse me, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Um, we, we love to be first, don't we? I'll, I'll speak for myself, Relentless Church. I love to be first. I love to be first. I love to win, right? And that's kind of how I was raised. I don't think I'm alone. We strive to be number one. We strive to, 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 to be the best, okay? And the truth is, that's because we live in a world and we're part of a culture that is obsessed with success. We are, we are consumed as a society with this idea of being the best, of being successful, of being the, 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 the greatest, achieving greatness, whatever that looks like in your context, in your life whether you know, at school or at work or at home with your family or in, or in your community. There are endless, endless examples, countless examples uh, in our culture today that we can point to, okay? But for, for me, because, uh, because this is Relentless Church and I wanna be true to who we are, we're gonna look at sports for our example, okay? If you've been coming here for any uh, significant amount of time at all, you know we love sports around here and that comes from the top, Pastor David, and, uh, and I gladly receive those orders and I try to trickle in sports anytime I speak, okay? But I'm really excited because August is here. We're, we're kicking into football season right around the corner. Preseason started. Yeah, I got a couple woos. Yes, I'm not the only one. Come on. NFL football. Thank you, Jesus, for football. I'm so excited. I cannot wait for the season to, to start. Uh, I'm a I'll pause here again for another aside. I'm a Patriots fan, New England Patriots, okay? That's, it's all right, haters gonna hate. I receive that, I receive that, it's okay. What I wanted to say is I came here as a brother in Christ to free some of y'all up, okay? Because, right, listen, some of y'all are rooting for the wrong team, but unlike Pastor David, who uh, in my opinion borders on spiritual abuse when he tries to make you root for his team, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I, I can say that because he's on vacation, okay? But I mean, come on. If you don't want to root for the Panthers, you don't have to. I'm freeing you up, all right? I'm freeing you up. There's room on the Patriots bandwagon if you want to come join. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Football, NFL is a great example um, of this because think about it. Billions upon billions upon billions of dollars are spent here every year right? When you think about the teams and the players and their salaries and then the coaching staff and the front office staff, the stadiums and the people they got to pay to work at the stadiums and all the merchandise and the food and the drinks and the tickets and then uh, advertising and the television deals and contracts. I mean, billions upon billions of dollars spent here all for what? To find out there's 32 teams to whittle them down by the end of the season to two teams left in February playing in the Super Bowl, right? Which is the most highly televised, more eyes are on this one television event than anything else all year long. And it's all to see what, who gets crowned number one, who becomes the champion, right? And there's all this time and money and energy and careers and just stuff poured into that. And that's, 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 kind of who we are, right? Don't even get me started on fantasy football, all right? I love, some of y'all, I said fantasy football, and I just saw my wife, like, eyes glaze over in her head. I just, she's over it. I love fantasy football. I love it, okay? I'm, I'm, I might be a little, I might love it a little bit too much, okay? And I'm not gonna go into all the details of fantasy right now. I'll just say this. For me, it is like, um, it, it, it's like Christmas morning for a kid, 
Like draft day of fantasy every year. I look forward to it. It's September 6th, 7 p.m. At two, that's a Tuesday night at Pastor David Jones' house. That's where I'll be. That's my draft, my fantasy football draft. I am literally counting the days down like it's Christmas morning. I can't wait. Okay, I've been playing fantasy for, for uh, over 20 years now, and I'm looking, I'm so looking forward to this season more than I ever have in my entire life, and I'm, t- I'm gonna tell y'all why, okay? Because last year, for the very first time in the history of my fantasy football career, I came in last. <laughs> I came in last. Typically, I, I'm, I'm in the playoffs. I, have, I promise you, I'm good at fantasy football. But last year, I came in last place, okay? And not only that, last year was the first time I played in a league with a bunch of people from Relentless Church. The first time in the history of our league, we decided to have a punishment for the guy who comes in last, okay? And the punishment was a license plate that I had to put on my car. I think we got a picture. There it is. That I had to drive around with for the last nine months. It says, last place, I suck on fantasy football. Those are like pink little unicorns on there. My daughter loves it. She never wants it to come off. I'm like, that's me. Now listen, don't let the smile fool you, okay? I'm trying to be a good big brother. I'm trying to show like, hey, you know what? This is how you handle a loss with class. This is how you be a good sport about things. Inside, I'm dying. I'm dying. Like every morning when I go get in my car, a little piece of my soul dies, okay? I cannot wait to get rid of this thing. So again, September 6, 7 p.m., Tuesday night, that thing's coming off, a new season begins, and guess what? Because I came in last, guess who gets the first pick this year? You're looking at him. Yes, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last, okay? I digress. I'm obviously having a little bit of fun with this, but, but the bottom line is, is still true. We live in a world that is obsessed with greatness, that, that is obsessed with, with winning, chasing success, being first. We all fall into that. It may not be fantasy football for you, but whatever that is, whatever that looks like for you in your life, your context, uh, we, we've been taught to always strive for number one in every situation, right? And, and, and I just want you to know that today and over the course of the next few weeks in this series, we're going to look at what Jesus says is the real key to success, what, what Jesus says is the real path, the true path to, to greatness. And I know, um, you know, some of you have probably guessed it by now, but it's important to understand that it's not what the world says it is. And it doesn't look like what the world says it looks like, okay? The, the, the key to success is not, is not money, okay? Uh, I'm not saying money is a bad thing. We'd all like to have a little bit more of it, okay? But, but at the end of the day, some of the wealthiest people in the world are the unhappiest, right? That's not the key to success. It's not the things that money can buy clothing and shoes and cars and houses and boats and all the toys, whatever you can think about. Again, at the end of the day, some of the saddest people in the world have the most stuff, okay? The key to success is not rank or status or power. All these things are how the world in its conventional wisdom defines greatness, defines success, okay? And again, they're not bad things and you're not bad if you strive for those things. I'm right there with you. All I'm saying is Jesus has a different definition, Jesus says it looks differently. He says none of these things are the key to true success. And in fact, in the end, they will all leave you wanting. But if you want true success as defined by God himself, if you really want to be great, be last. Be last. Matthew 20, verse 16. So the last will be first and the first will be last. I'm telling y'all, Relentless Church, this is the key. This is the key. Jesus says, if you want to end up last in the end, then keep doing what you're doing. Keep running with the the world. Keep chasing first place, okay? But if you want true success, if you really want to win in the long run, then you've got to fight to be last. Now, I realize that's counterintuitive, 
right? Even as I say it, some of you are sitting here like, that doesn't make sense, Raph, right? If I fight to be first, I'm going to be last. Like, what do, you, what do you mean by that? And what I'm saying is this, if you want to be successful in God's eyes, okay, you've got to learn to stop fighting to place yourself first in every scenario and lift others up ahead of you. And I promise it doesn't sound very fun, okay? And I can, I can tell you from experience, it's not particularly easy either, but I promise you, it really is the key. It's the key to success in the kingdom of God. If you, if you want to leave a legacy, if you want to live a life that, that matters, a life of purpose, a life that, that is truly fulfilling, if you want to be great, be last. Be last. you got to fight to be last. That is the key to success. The key to greatness is being last. And I want to show it to you this morning uh, from Scripture because it's not something I came up with on my own. It's not something I made up. Um, this is something that Jesus Christ himself taught to his disciples, okay? Because here's the deal. This desire that we all have to, to strive for greatness, to want to be first, to want to win, this, this didn't originate with us, okay? It's not exclusive to us. It's been around for, uh, humankind from the, from the very beginning, okay? And it's not necessarily a bad thing either. It's important I say that. It's not bad to want to be great. Okay, as a matter of fact, the disciples, okay, the 12 guys who rolled around with Jesus and did life with him for three years of his ministry here on earth, um, they fought about this all the time. It was an argument they constantly had that Jesus would have to step in and, and correct them. They were always fighting over who was, who, who was Jesus's closest, who was who's going to be the greatest, who was Jesus's favorite, okay, because they knew that they were rolling with the king of kings. They knew Jesus was special and that he was doing special things, and they knew that just by their proximity to him, they they were going to do some great things as well. Okay, so in Luke chapter 22, we find the disciples having this very argument about who was going to be the greatest among them. And the context of this conversation between the disciples, this argument, and, 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 and then Jesus stepping in takes place at the Last Supper. Okay, this is at the Last Supper. Jesus had just taken communion with them. So he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup of wine and, 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 and said, this is my blood that's been poured out for you. And they drank it and he established a new covenant with them. He's predicting his death, death to them. He tells them what's going to come, what's going to happen. Then he proceeds to tell them that one of them, one of the 12 who are sitting at the table with him are, are actually going to betray him. Okay, and that's when they all turn on each other and be like, not me, it's you, it must be him, it's right. And they're all pointing fingers and that turns into them fighting over who's the greatest. And that's kind of the context where we set up, uh, we're gonna jump in here in Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 24. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Let's stop there. I think it's, it's, it's almost scary to think uh, about the fact that Jesus had just poured three years of his life into these men. Okay, after they saw the character of Jesus on full display in pretty much every conceivable circumstances, that, that now in the final hours before his betrayal, his arrest, and ultimately his death on the cross, they choose to have this argument about which one of them is the greatest. Okay, if I'm, I don't know about y'all, if I'm Jesus, if it's me, right, I'm so frustrated with the eyes by now. Like I'm standing up at the dinner table like, I'll sit down, I'm great, you're not, be quiet, right? That's, that's how I would handle that situation. Luckily, Jesus is not me and that's, that's not what he does. Again, this isn't new to him. This is a common topic of conversation. As in fact, we see it in all four gospels. In Matthew chapter 18, 18 Matthew chapter 20, Mark chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, and then again in John, which we're going to read together here in a little bit. But, but again, 
I, I love the way Jesus in his compassion, in his grace, in his humility addresses the disciples here. He does not rebuke them for wanting to be great. He, he changes the way they want to be great. He corrects the way that they want to be great. Verse 25, Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. But among you, it will be different. Everybody say different. One more time, say different. different. Among you, it will be different. Jesus says, hey, this, this is how the world does it. We're different. We're different. Verse 27, who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. Again, Jesus says the world's got a way of doing things, but it's different here. And then he gives an example of, of like a, a dinner table. Imagine sitting down at a formal meal. He says, who's, who's the important one? The one who sits down and is being served a meal or the one who's doing the serving? In the world, obviously, it's the, uh, the one who's being served is important, right? My, um, my wife and I, a few years ago, we, we took our kids on a, a cruise, a Disney cruise, and uh, it was amazing. I if y'all have never been on a cruise, if you love food like me, you'll love a cruise. I don't even know what the entertainment was, where we went. I didn't get off the boat. Why would I leave? They just keep bringing me whatever I want to eat the whole time. It's amazing. So, so we sit down to dinner the first night. Um, Disney, like, they, they step up the service. Like, it's, it's on 10, right? And so we sit down to get our meal, and our drinks are there. Like, they already knew what I wanted to drink. I didn't tell them. I don't know how they knew, right? It's Disney magic. I'm like, yes, that's exactly what was waiting for me. This is awesome. And so they come and, and you know, I can't decide uh, between two entrees. Oh, this sounds amazing, but so does this. And the waiter's like, why don't I just bring them both? I'm like, why don't you just do that? That's amazing. Yes, please. And so they come, they bring the food out. I'm like, you know, drooling over my two entrees and they bring my kids plates and instinctively I go to like start cutting my kids food. You know, they're little kids. That's what you got to do. And the, the, the server's like, no, no, sir, sit down, enjoy your meal. I got this. And he starts cutting my kids food on their plate, like literally into little bites for all three kids. And I'm like, at this point, I feel like a king. Like I could not feel more important ever. Like this is the best service ever. I feel so special. This is amazing. Like clearly you, you are here to serve me and I receive it. And I love this. Right? It was amazing. This is kind of what Jesus is talking about, right? He uses this dinner table illustration to, to highlight the contrast between the world and the kingdom of God. Okay, and the world regards the one who is being served as greater. But Jesus says, no, not in my kingdom. In my kingdom, true greatness is in the serving. Right? Th think about it this way. If, if, uh, if the president of every or, or CEO of every Fortune 500 company in, in America didn't show up to work for the next month, okay? I'm not saying that wouldn't matter or nothing bad happened, but if, if that happened, right, would you feel it in your daily life? How much would it truly affect you? Okay, uh, I'm just saying again, I don't, I don't know that, that my life would skip a beat. But if every trash collector in our country stopped working for the next 30 days, you better believe we would feel it, right? We would absolutely notice that. It would be pandemonium in the streets, okay? Again, Jesus is trying to rearrange our thinking, okay? Reset our priorities by making the point that in the world, everybody's going to clamor for greatness, Everybody wants to be number one. Everybody wants to be in charge. Everybody wants more, more power, more money, more authority, more influence. But Jesus says, not here. Not here, not in my kingdom. In my kingdom, it's going to be different. And the way to greatness in my kingdom is be last. 
You put yourself at the end of the, the end of the line. You lift other people up ahead of yourself. You put God first, other second, yourself last. He said, I'm, I'm starting a new thing. I'm starting a new kingdom, and it's going to be in complete contrast to the ways of this world. It's going to be counterintuitive to everything that you've been taught. And if you follow me into this, your life is going to look different. You're going to think differently if you do this, and people are going to perceive you differently if you do this. But it's also going to make a difference. It's going, to, it's going to make a difference if you do this. It's going to make an impact, not just in your life, but in the lives of people around you and in your community. And then that's when you will achieve true greatness. The key to greatness is being last. And Jesus is telling his disciples, don't waste time arguing about greatness like the rest of the world does. Don't fight to be first like everybody else does. But instead, if you would be last, if you would, if you would take the lowest rank, if you would assume the position of a servant, then you would become truly great. And what I, what I, I want to remind you of is, again, the context of this entire dialogue between Jesus and the disciples. It's, it's the Last Supper, okay? And what would be his final teaching to his disciples before he goes to the cross Jesus takes the opportunity to teach them about what true greatness really is. And here's the amazing thing about that. It's, if you read the parallel accounts of, of this uh, conversation from all four Gospels and you get the fullness of the timeline, okay, um, what you'll find is that Jesus didn't just talk to the disciples about greatness here, but he showed them. He gave them an actual real-life demonstration. Okay, if we go to John's account in uh, chapter, John chapter 13, verses 3 to 5, John tells us that Jesus washed the disciples' feet after supper and that he may have spoken these words about true greatness while he was actually in the act of washing their feet or perhaps as he just finished, after he just finished washing their feet. And so I just want you to try and picture that for a second. Like go there with me in your mind and picture Jesus. He's he's hours from being arrested, beaten, and crucified, and he knows it's coming. He knows what's coming. He's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. His heart is heavy. His mind is racing as he tries to make his final preparations, as he tries to make sure that these, these 12 guys are prepared, the ones he's going to entrust with building the church and taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. He, he's trying to make sure they're ready. All this stuff going on. And yet here they are, arguing about which one of them is greatest. Who's going to be first? And in John chapter 13, we see Jesus humbly respond, not just with words that, like we just read in, in, in Luke, but with action. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. That's important to understand. Jesus was about to face the agony of the cross. Again, the terror of standing before God for the judgment of sins of the entire world, okay? Past, present, and future. And at the same time, Jesus went into this situation not as a victim, but as the victor, as a, as a conquering hero. He could have backed out at any time if he wanted. Jesus could have stopped it at any moment if he wanted. Why? Because the Father had put all things under his power. And so it's important to note that as Jesus was about to lower himself, literally stooping onto his hands and knees in service of his disciples, 
He did not do it from weakness, but from a position of ultimate authority. Jesus, King of Kings, at the right hand of the Father, left heaven's throne, lowered himself to the position of the lowliest servant. Verse four. So he got up from his meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. At this moment of deep significance and meaning, Jesus did something that must have seemed crazy to everyone else in the room, okay? He began to do the job of the lowliest servant. Make no mistake, this was an extreme act of servanthood. It was, it was customary in those days for the lowest servant in the house to wash the feet of all the guests as they came in, okay? Especially for a formal meal, a formal dinner like they were about to have. And for some reason, this did not happen when Jesus and the disciples came into the house. So they all sat down to eat with dirty feet, okay? Now, uh, just to kind of set the stage, the table they would have sat at was kind of like a U-shaped table that was kind of lower to the ground. So you didn't actually sit at it, you reclined at it. You kind of laid, you had a pillow and kind of laid on your arm, kind of awkward, but everyone's feet were outside and you can see them, they're all exposed. So everyone's feet are exposed, they're dirty, maybe smelly, right? This is what we're talking about. Now, according to the Jewish laws and traditions of the time regarding a relationship between a teacher and his disciples, um, a disciple was, was not expected to wash his master's feet, but it would have been unheard of. It would have been just unimaginable, unthinkable for a master to actually wash his disciples' feet. Here's the thing about the disciples. None of the disciples were interested in washing each other's feet. Okay, they would have washed Jesus' feet, but they couldn't in this situation culturally without subjecting themselves to washing everyone else's feet too. And they didn't want to humble themselves in that way because they knew if they did, they would, in a sense, be, be admitting their inferiority to some of the other guys. And so instead, shirking all customs, they all just walked in and sat down and ate. Nobody's feet got washed. That is until Jesus, who knows that actions speak louder than words, gets up from the table humbly drops to his hands and his knees, and he proceeds to watch each and every, wash each and every one of the disciples' feet one by one. Every last one of them. Even Judas, well, if you're unfamiliar, Judas is the one who's going to betray him, who sells him out. Jesus knows this, and yet still, and, and, and it takes the time and lovingly, humbly washes Judas' feet too. Think about that. Like when, when, when Jesus wanted to teach these proud, arrogant, arguing disciples about true humility, he didn't just say it, but he showed it through one of the most intimate, loving, humble acts of service that any of them had ever experienced. If we were to continue reading the, the, the account, uh, Peter, uh, when Jesus comes to him to, to wash his feet, Peter rejects him. Says, no, Lord, get away from me. You can't wash my feet. I'm not worthy. I can't let you wash my feet. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, if, I don't, if you don't let me do this for you, you can't be with me. You have no place with me. Jesus is saying, he's alluding to, hey, not just washing your feet, but washing you completely, making you clean. What I'm going to go do on the cross, if you don't accept this, if you don't humble yourself enough to allow me to do this, you can't be with me. To which Peter responds, Lord, wash me all over from head to toe. <laughs> Give me a bath. Jesus is like, no, no, the feet's good. You get it. You get it, right? 
But it's, it's you, you, like, imagine the response. You read Jesus washed their feet. No, like, it's, I'm not worthy, Jesus. You should not be doing this for me. I don't deserve it. I haven't earned it. And when Jesus was done washing their feet, he got up, put his clothes back on, returned to the table, and he said this, verse 15. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I have set for you an example. Do to each other, do to others as I have done for you. In other words, this is what greatness looks like. This is what greatness looks like. And if you truly want to be great, then follow me. Follow my example and be last. Be last. Here he is, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the only one worthy of the title. And yet, based on the way he lived, servant of servants seemed to be the name he preferred when he was here on this earth. And with his last opportunity to teach his disciples, he implores them to live the same way, to do for others as he has done for them. In other words, to serve in such a way that is so humble, so loving, so sacrificial, to serve people in such a way that they can't help know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is a God who is real and that he loves them. Why else would someone do this for me? Why else would someone humble themselves in this way? Why else would someone be so, so gracious and so loving towards me if not for a perfect God who loves us perfectly? That's what true greatness looks like. It's the kind of greatness that impacts people's eternity. The Apostle Paul described it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used in his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself. He lowered himself. He said, the, the, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. I didn't come to serve, but to be served. And then in verse nine, Paul talks about his, his greatness. Therefore, God, therefore, God, that means uh, as a result of, because of, as a result of Jesus putting himself last, as a result of Jesus's humility, because he put everyone else ahead of himself, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Paul says everybody, even the people who don't want to, even the ones who don't believe in him, will confess that he is Lord and bow down to him because of his greatness. And the path to that greatness, the way that he got there, was being last. Again, we live in a world that would have you believe that the only way to achieve greatness is by putting yourself first. Jesus says, no, that's not the case. That's not the way it is. Not here, not among you, not in my kingdom, 
Among you, it will be different. I came to serve and not to be served. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. Being last is the key to greatness. Being last is the key. And it's a key that Jesus not only modeled for us with his life, death, resurrection, but he's also made it available to us. And today we have the opportunity to grab hold of it, each and every one of us. And my question is, what would that look like for you? What would it look like for you to be last? What what would it look like for you to follow in Jesus's footsteps this week by, by humbling yourself and taking the very nature of a servant at home, at your job, at school, on your team, at church, in your relationships with one another? Where can you seize the opportunity to put God first, others second, yourself last? And what would that look like for you? What kind of impact would it make? What kind of difference would it make? And it's, I imagine it's going to be different for each and every one of us, right? And that's between you and God. But I want to encourage you to, to have that conversation and pray about what that step is for you and how you can embrace this. Because I'm telling you, it's, Jesus said it's the key. It's the key. I can tell you um, what it looks like here at Relentless Church. Um, I want to just take a moment and honor all the servant leaders who serve here at Relentless Church. I'm going to tell you a secret, okay? If y'all showed up today and I wasn't here, I couldn't make it for whatever reason, you know, car wouldn't start, whatever. I, you know, I, just, I, I got snatched. I'm just, I'm not here, right? You know what would happen? They would, they would play a video of another pastor, probably more talented than me. He would preach the word of God to you and you would receive it and you would be blessed, okay? Church would go on. But let me tell you something, if, if all those people in yellow, bright green shirts aren't here to love on your kids, if all the, the people aren't here greeting with a smile and a hug, if you're willing, or a fist bump or a handshake when you walk in the doors, the ones who come in two hours early to practice the songs and make sure the sound equipment's working and, and make sure the bathrooms are cleaned and the chairs are set up and the coffee's brewing, if, if the people of God in Relentless Church don't show up, we ain't having church. And that's what greatness looks like. I'm telling you, you looked at each of them. Yeah, you can clap for them because that's what greatness looks like. And I'm going to tell you something. That's not what the world says it looks like. When you sign up to serve, you're not like, yeah, I'm going to be first. I got this. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to get my shine. You're not, you're not. You may never get the applause you're looking for. You may never get the, the, the thank you, but I want you to know that God is glorified in heaven. Okay, and when he defines greatness, when he says this is what greatness is, when Jesus came from heaven down to earth to demonstrate it to us, that's what it looked like. That's what it looked like. And so I want to thank you for that. I want to honor you, and I want to give everyone else the opportunity. If you haven't stepped into that, I'm not shy about telling you we have a place for you. Okay, you can you can uh, grab one of the cards out there in the lobby on the welcome stand that says, I want to say yes to RC kids. I want to say yes to worship and tech. I want to say yes to being a part of guest services. Or you can go on our website and click on the serve button and we would love to connect you with that. Okay, but that's that's one example. Some of y'all, maybe that's not what God's calling you to do. Maybe he's calling you to go home and have a conversation with your wife and say, how can I be last? Maybe, maybe he wants to change the way you, you, you interact with your kids. Maybe he wants to uh, show up, you to show up at your job with an entirely new attitude that's going to uh, bless people in ways that you don't even know. And it may like not feel like it while you're doing it, but I'm telling you the key to greatness is being last. There are some doors in our lives that we will never be able to unlock 
without the key. I'm telling you, Jesus is handing us the key today. Be last. Be last. Next couple weeks, we're going to talk about some of those doors. The key to relationships, be last. The key to finding your purpose, be last. All right, that's where we're going. Uh, but for now, I'm going, to, I'm going to leave it there and just leave you again with that question. What does that look like for you? How can you be last this week in your life? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Lord, for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. Thank you that you saw fit to come down from heaven, take the position of the lowest servant so that we could be set free, so that we could be with you in relationship with God the Father for forever and eternity, God, but also so that you can set us free right here and now. God, I pray just you would help us this week. Help, help make it clear to us, God. We know you said it so clearly. There's a way to this world. Lord, it's so easy for us to fall into that way. God, but, but, but I'm praying this, this, this week, God, starting right now, that for Relentless Church, for the people of God, that you would make clear to us that your way is different. And that when we step into that, Lord, even when it's uncomfortable, that that is the path to true greatness, God. And that's the path that, 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 that's gonna lead us to, to making an impact for your name and for your glory, God. And so I pray you would make that clear for each and every one of us. God, we thank you for your love and for your grace, Lord, for your forgiveness, for this life, God. Help us to be last like you were last. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Come back next week, y'all. We're going to talk about being last is the key to relationships. Uh, In the meantime, have a great week. Peace out.